Hello, it's Dr. Jason Lee, Season 6, Episode 4. And in this episode with Brianne Hurdle, we're going to talk about what conditions we consider comorbidities or what conditions that coexist in people with food allergies. And I really want to introduce a concept called type 2 inflammation here, uh, Brianne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is pretty interesting stuff. It's, I think you're onto something here. Jason. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, I can't take credit. I just, I just read the, the work that other people do and yeah. uh, try to see if I can. But people, sense. people don't know about this. So this is going to be really eye-opening to so many people. It's, it's absolutely. absolutely fascinating. So, you know, I think in every allergist office, um, uh, we see a lot of food allergies and we see a lot of conditions that seem to kind of go hand in hand. So this is these kind of hand in hand conditions. We referred to as comorbidities, like they occur more commonly in a patient with food allergies than you would expect by chance alone. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of, the, one of the most common comorbidities, and now we know as a risk factor in infants, is eczema. So eczema, mm-hmm. atopic dermatitis, is a common comorbidity of someone with food allergies. And we kind of understand, you know, uh, many ways this can occur. One, uh, the barrier uh, hypothesis in the skin. Skin can be a sensitizer, meaning that's a way you can develop an allergy if you're exposed to that allergy on the, on the skin. Uh, but other things, and especially advances in the last 17, 18 years, have really explained some of the cellular and molecular ways that these conditions kind of predispose to one or the other or multiple conditions. And this mm-hmm. is... You know, this is what really, really brings me into the topic of type two inflammation. And, you know, I'll touch on this as we go, but it, it's kind of mm-hmm. fascinating. The science really took a giant leap forward in the mid 2000s. And, you know, now we seem to have therapeutics that target these kind of condition. And it's really propelled the understanding even more. So sometimes when we make a drug in a therapy that targets a certain pathway or a certain process, we learn about that process and other things and effects. Mm-hmm. So what is type two inflammation? What exactly is that? Okay. So type two inflammation in a nutshell is a type of inflammation where your body has a predisposition to being dysregulated in a type of inflammation mainly and originally developed in your body to repair tissue. So When you have an infection, for example, um, usually the first response your body does is tries to neutralize the bacteria or virus. It can try to kill them and things like that. When that defense system, uh, which is type one inflammation is overwhelmed, it brings in the type two inflammation. And, you know, rather than um, killing, its job is to either wall off or repair the damaged tissues. So for example, in the lungs, it tries to repair the lining of the lungs that we call epithelium, and it tries to restore some of the damaged tissues that have, uh, you know, may have been a bystander damage as part of your immune response or the infection itself. In the skin, um, type two is usually responsible for healing the skin and make sure, making sure that we recruit enough infectious cells to stop whatever is coming in. 
So it makes you kind of itchy. You know, if there is something, this is kind of what causes a scab and to, to be itchy. This is what causes you to be itchy after a mosquito bite. Um, you know, again, repair. But when you have this inflammation turned on all the time, for example, in atopic dermatitis, asthma, you have your immune system kind of being detrimental. It actually, the repair response is always on. So it causes changes that are not in your favor. And because oh. it's regulated, it can't turn itself off mm -hmm. without some sort of intervention. So, you know, um, it's kind of like the positive snowball effect. Once this sets in motion, it is really hard to stop that snowball or mm -hmm. to have it, you know, uh, stop snowballing. So mm -hmm. we, I, as I mentioned, we learn, we're learning so much about this and it really has been an explosion in the, in the science at both the basic science and clinical level, uh, clinical level meaning on actual people and, and not on mice. Um, and we now understand that this type two inflammation is what causes, or this dysregulated type two uh, activation, type two inflammation, is what causes eczema, atopic derm. It's what causes people to have food allergies. It's what causes people to develop sinus problems and sinusitis and nasal polyps. It causes people to develop asthma. It also wow. causes people to develop other conditions like chronic urticaria, so hives, mm -hmm. and in some people, um, there's a rare condition that a lot of people don't know about. It's called perigo nodularis, where you get these dark nodules forming that are really itchy and as a result of the itching process. So there are many disease processes that are caused by a dysregulated state in this inflammation. So, you know, that, that's a bit of a mouthful of an answer. Um, no, it's great. Cause I mean, you wouldn't necessarily know that would be considered type two inflammation versus what type one inflammation would be. So the yeah. difference between the two. And, and, and a lot of um, doctors, unless you are actively involved in immunology, um, you know, ha haven't really been on top or abreast of the changes in the, in the nomenclature and terminology, because, you know, I mentioned the mid 2000s, we discovered a completely new immune cell in the body. Uh, something mm -hmm. called the innate lymphoid cell. So there's many types of innate lymphoid cells. There's one and two and three. And, you know, innate lymphoid cell one behaves like a T cell called TH1. This mm -hmm. is a helper type of help, helper T cell that activates sort of the kill response in these cells and, and bacteria and viruses. But the type two innate lymphoid cell or ILC2, it behaves like the TH2 T cell. That's the T helper cell type two, which normally helps you fight, uh, you know, parasites and, you know, has some neutralizing effect for bacteria viruses, but also activates that machinery to repair. So this totally new class of white blood cells, innate lymphoid cells, they're part of what's called the innate lymph, uh, immune system, which means that they're always there. They don't need some kind of specialized activation to activate them. And they have a role in a, every part of your body, it turns out. And the most fascinating thing is in the brain too. Mm -hmm. A common comorbid condition, which a lot of you know medical doctors who are not psychiatrists routinely ignore is the mental health aspect of stuff. 
And, right. And, you, you know, you, you laugh, but it is kind of true. And it, it's kind of sometimes funny, but sad, but it is true. That, oh, no, uh, no, no. I just, yeah. it's very true. That's, yeah, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it in any. Right. any uh, no, definitely not but funny, but it's so yeah. true. Yeah. Unfortunately, we underestimate the psychological, not only the burden, but the impact and, and maybe the interconnectedness of the, um, the mental health thing. So, for example, in all the conditions I listed earlier, like eczema, atopic derm, I know, asthma, uh, we know that patients are more prone to depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. Mm-hmm. There's actually a slight elevation in ASD in these patients and ADHD. Mm-hmm. We also know that these patients with these condi- medical conditions are more prone to substance use disorder as well. So mm-hmm. like you know, tobacco use, alcohol. So, you know, it, we always thought, you know, is it the medical condition that's making the patient's mental health worse. And that's probably a part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. But now that we know about this innate lymphoid cell, it turns out these cells also exist in the brain. And they wow. are responsible for regulating some of the neural uh, transmission and neurohormonal responses in the brain. So okay. it, it's wild, right? How you know this yeah. dysregulation may not be occurring just in your, you know, other organs, visceral organs like lungs and, and skin, maybe it's having a role in the brain as well. Um, here's, here's a really wild thing, Brianne. Uh, yeah. And we're, you know, talking about this offline, but when you use a medication that shuts off this type two inflammation and helps rebalance things, mm-hmm. almost invariably the mental health conditions that this patient had also dramatically mm-hmm. improves as well. Yeah, it's, then that shows it's correlated for sure. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And, you know, it's hard to measure these things in the brain, <laughs> even in the yeah. blood to measure. Um, you know, when I, I participated in a lot of these studies for a lot of these newer medications and doing cytokine levels is very challenging. You have to take the blood. Uh, often it's timed in the morning and the blood has to be spun down immediately in what's called a cold centrifuge or refrigerated centrifuge. You've got to take the serum, pack it in dry ice, and, and then ship it off like really quickly. So it's it's hard to measure these things. And wow. it, yeah. And so it's hard to do them as a routine part of clinical practice because you know no doctor is going to spend like three hours spinning down blood and <laughs> sending it off to a lab. Yes, of course. But uh, it, it, when you do it, it, it does reveal some interesting results though. So these immune cells are uh, antibodies. Am I correct when I say that? Uh, no, so these, not- the innate lymphoid cells do not produce antibodies directly, but okay. they produce the chemical messengers uh, like uh, something called interleukin-4 and 13 that causes your body's B cells to produce different types of antibodies and more refined antibodies. Gotcha. So they- yeah, do this without, it used to be thought that only the T cells, the Th2 cells can cause your body's B cells to switch antibodies, but other cells can also do this much faster as well. Without that uh, tradition, there's something called a T cell receptor and antigen uh, MHC, like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's gotta be some kind of kiss and a co-kiss that activates the cell, but this doesn't need to occur with the innate lymphoid cell. 
Interesting. And so this innate lymphoid cell basically can't get turned off is what you're saying with type type two inflammation. It's yeah. just constantly on. And, and you know, if, I'll use the example of allergies. So when you are, let's say, allergic to a uh, dust mite or a uh, grass, mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know, in a nutshell, if I simplify it, it's your body's immune system thinks it's a parasite. It's about the mm-hmm. size, you know, it's got some kind of antigens that it, you know, likes to react to. The problem with this is a parasite is a discrete event and one or two parasites get in, your body deals with it. When your body thinks something so common and ubiquitous as a dust mite poop or a grass pollen is a parasite, it continuously tries to fight this thing, mm-hmm. continuously inhaling it. Mm-hmm. You can never clear it, no matter how good it is, because every time you walk outside, well, like, you know, you know, way more of these, you know, uh, parasites have just entered your immune system. So you get these perpetual symptom activation um, in an effort to clear them. This is why we sneeze and we cough because our body is trying to expectorate out this parasite, but we're constantly breathing in. Interesting. So if we go back to mental health for just a second and like the comorbidity here in regards to this uh, type two inflammation, do you think it's possible that being having this type two inflammation being like if you were to help and treat the mental illness, say such as anxiety or depression and different, different things that, um, it would be able to shut off this type two inflammation. You were saying that this new drugs coming out that are actually treating mental health issues, but what if it's the mental health issues that's actually obviously keeping the immune system in overdrive? So you're, you're asking the chicken and egg question. And I am I, asking the chicken and egg question. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, I don't think anyone knows. And, you know, one, one of the interesting aspects of medicine, but a limiting aspect is we have a very siloed approach to medicine. So the psychiatrist will never read my journals in immunology. Right. And, um, you know, a, a lung specialist will never read a dermatologist journal okay, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. So we have this siloed approach. So, I think a lot of the mental health professionals, like psychiatrists, they're, they're, they're not aware that blocking type two inflammation for the purpose of treating someone's, you know, let's say eczema or mm-hmm. asthma actually mm-hmm. really dramatically improves their mental health. So when, when we do these randomized clinical trials, we actually look at baseline characteristics of patients. So we you know, mm-hmm. record how many of them have depression, how many of them have asthma, how many of them have nasal polyps, so on, mm-hmm. to measure their age, to make mm-hmm. sure that you know, the treatment group and the placebo group are roughly the same in terms of all of these things. Okay? So that's what qualifies a good sample size and a placebo and control. Right. And when we do these trials, we can't help but notice that, hey, this person was like, depressed, but now they're telling me they're super happy. Or this person with ADHD was telling me that they couldn't think and they kind of felt this mental fog all the time and forgetting, constantly forgetting thing, things. But now all of a sudden they're saying their thinking is completely straight. These are actual words that my patients have said to me. I feel like I can think straight for the first time in my life. And wow. it, it really is interesting how this occurs. So a couple of my uh, patients who uh, have, you know, seen psychiatrists for other reasons, I've spoken to some of the psychiatrists and, and, and let them know, like, you know, heads up, tell me what you think 
their mental health is, you know, six months from now from starting this medication. Mm-hmm. Cause I have a big hunch that they're going to really improve. And it turns out they do just like it was shown in the clinical studies. So this medication is but specifically to treat type two inflammation and not necessarily mental health issues. Like are any no. of these patients of yours t- are on any sort of psychotropics or SSRIs oh, absolutely. or absolutely. And all, okay. uh, you know, a lot of my patients, uh, again, I consider it a common morbidity having some kind of mental health challenge when you have a condition like severe atopic dermatitis or you know, severe asthma or nasal polyps. You know, these patients are suffering, you know, physically, yeah. mentally. And, uh, you know, I do see that they're on, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, psychiatric medications uh, for various reasons, whether it be yeah. for anxiety, depression, ADHD. And, uh, you know, it's three most prominent ones are, 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 yeah, anxiety, depression, and ADHD for sure. But that's incredible. And I just think it's, I, it must, it must be all linked. I mean, you can't, yeah, I know the chicken and the egg question here and what's where, but from somebody actually who suffers from eczema, which I do, but mine wasn't, I don't believe it's food related because mine is stress. I got it in my twenties and it was after I didn't eat. And I had a very poor diet for about a year and it was very restricted. And then I started to reintroduce food again. And then ever since it's been there, I've never been able to get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, you know, your, your personal story is very interesting too, because, you know, it il- illustrates a key point about this inflammation type two inflammation. Um, it seems like p- some people have a predisposition to getting type two inflammation. Mm-hmm. Why? Because not everyone with the same genes, when you look at twin studies, develops the same stuff. They're sure the risk is higher, but mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee. So there's some kind of environmental interaction that seems to, you know, if you have that predisposition, it seems to turn it on and turn it on mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that's come out of this pandemic and, you know, what a lot of theories are on long COVID is that in some people, when you get COVID, uh, it really turns on this type two inflammation. And these tend to be the patients that I talked about that have kind of had a really bad COVID course or a really sick COVID course where the type one inflammation system was overwhelmed. And this type two really got activated to try to compensate for this. Of course. Uh, You may have heard this term cytokine storm and, you know, the immune system activating so much that actually ends up killing the patient or, you know, really harming the patient. And and this is kind of exactly uh, what's part of this too much activation of a type of inflammation. So one of the treatments they use is something called uh, interleukin six blocker. Uh, It's an antibody that blocks the signal and that seems to stop this inflammation as well and, and may save lives. You know, a cheaper way of doing this, it turns out we figured out is, using, uh, you know, steroids, uh, intravenous steroids, and it just shuts off all inflammation. So it ends up saving. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to go on prednisone once because I was doing a financial course through the university of British Columbia. And my ex-husband at the time wanted me to, uh, do it within like a month and it was technically supposed to be done. Like, and so my stress levels were super high and I thought I was having an allergic reaction. I broke out in like a rash, like all over my body. And I went to my doctor and she's like, that's eczema. And I'm like, no, it's not. That's not how it usually presents. <laughs> yeah, it it's was. very interesting. Uh, and you know, I think in a prior episode, I talked about how this, these cells, you know, evolved millions and millions of years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you think, what would stress out animals like hundreds of millions of years ago? Yeah. Eaten alive by bugs or something from yes. the outside. So mm-hmm. it's almost like I see it as like a 
vestigial stress response mm-hmm. to have stuff going on in your skin or in other parts of your body when you are under a psychological burden. Mm-hmm. But that's just it. Like, I mean, they, they treat, uh, uh, PMDD, which is premenstrual dysmorphic disorder with SSRIs. And oh, it works. Yeah. Ciprolex so cool. is the biggest one and it works. And this is like a hormonal, obviously imbalance in women based on progesterone and estrogen and different things. But yeah, they, they basically use an SSRI to treat that and it works like a hot dam. So huh. it's interesting, the link between, I mean, in medicine, I would assume it's nature versus nurture. It's the same thing with mental health. All of, and they're trying to determine how much is nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. And human so. beings are, are so, so complex, right? And yeah. uh, our immune systems, uh, you know, it, it always amazes me. It, it's um, the complexity just seems to get more and more complicated the more I learn. And each year when there's a, something new discovered, um, you know, it just completely challenges paradigms and dogmas and, you know, kind of makes you retool and rethink it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how this system evolved and, mm-hmm. uh, how all of these things kind of are intertwined, but yeah, just to answer the original question, uh, Brianne, it's probably conditions <laughs> are very, very, very common, um, yeah. you know, in, in patients with food allergies, you know, you're more likely to be at risk for eczema. And, you know, eczema may be a sensitizing route. You're more likely to have allergies, you know, inhalational stuff, allergic nose, eyes. You're more likely to have asthma. You're more likely to have nasal polyps. You're more likely to have mm-hmm. chronic hives. And, you know, other, some of the more rare uh, comorbidities, um, you know, I, I won't mention because people won't know about them unless you happen to have it. But all of these things are interrelated. They share a cellular basis where, you know, even though the cell type I said was discovered in the mid 2000s, it was only until the advent of uh, therapeutics that target this area that the nomenclature has kind of even come up. You know, uh, doctors mm-hmm. thought it was a conspiracy theory and marketing by the pharmaceutical companies when, when the term, terminology came up. But, um, you know, if you were following the basic signs, you knew that this nomenclature came out around 2009, 2010. So it was well before any therapeutics were invented in this area. Um, so it's a kind of an evolution of science and, um, it is kind of neat how far we've come since the, you know, the late nineties to now in terms of our understanding. And and I feel like we have so much to learn, you know, for example, recently the FDA has just, uh, approved, uh, the medication called Dupilumab, which, you know, really was the first targeted comprehensive type two inflammatory treatment. They mm-hmm. just approved it for an uh, esophagus condition called eosinophilic esophagitis. Oh, so wow. Is, yeah, another comorbidity that we knew that people with food allergies sometimes developed. It's not quite an allergy, though. Uh, it's inflammation of the esophagus where your esophagus thinks that there's some kind of parasite it needs to clear out in that area, or that's what we think, you know. Weird, what's, huh? what's the symptom of that? Like, what do people feel if so they this are? This is the unfortunate thing. Um, more by the time people get symptoms, it almost always becomes some kind of emergency. So, the esophagus, when you have this chronic inflammation that's trying to repair, it will sometimes lead to adhesions and strictures. So, strictures are you know two points that are not supposed to be connected, connecting. Um, in more advanced cases, the 
the esophagus actually starts changing into the larynx, so, so the airway. Yeah, the, the airway, yeah. You get this thing called tracheolization of the esophagus, where the esophagus starts, you know, building these hard rings. And so you can imagine the, the esophagus is supposed to push down food, that peristalsis effect can mm -hmm. no longer occur. So the emergency becomes that food will get stuck and the patient uh, will have food stuck in their esophagus. They'll feel like they're choking. They may in fact choke and they need to go to the emergency and usually have the food dislodged. So it'll start with bigger foods like steak. Uh, mm -hmm. And, um, but in advanced disease, it can lead to choking with all sorts of foods. So it turns out one of the ways you can conceptualize this condition called eosinophilic esophagitis, EOEO for short, uh, for short is thinking of it like asthma of the esophagus. And we knew that the same gene mutations that predispose people to getting asthma would lead to EOE. It turns wow. out, yeah, all the comorbid conditions I talked about, all mm -hmm. those gene mutations predispose to all of them. And proof in point, EOE, people uh, in, in the allergy field always saw it as kind of like something called the fifth line in the atopic march. You start with eczema, you get food allergies, allergic rhinitis, asthma, and then this EOE condition. It turns out that this idea, there's a lot of truth to it because it is an activation of the same type two inflammation, but now in the esophagus. So it kind of occurs in that progression sometimes, not always, but it turns out if you block the type two inflammation, you completely treat this condition very effectively, more effectively than other treatments. So, you know, kind of interesting how this advance in science kind of confirms what we thought were interconnected, but now we know more of the mechanism of why it's interconnected. Of course. So these new medications that are coming out, um, drugs, um, are you're, you're prescribing them to your patients who have allergies and that are constantly in their bodies in this type two inflammation. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately with any of these newer, uh, kind of what I call sexy therapeutics, uh, they're very expensive. So mm -hmm. it depends on whether, uh, you know, the patient has a good uh, insurance plan or if you're in a province, some provinces are luckier than others in terms of what medications are covered for uninsured uh, patients. So for example, you know, in BC where you are, it's really hard to get some of these um, expensive sexy medications. I found that from my colleagues in BC. In mm -hmm. Ontario, we are second luckiest. Mm -hmm. I think Quebec, uh, you know, basically any patient who needs a drug gets it, it, it sounds nice. like. But in Ontario, yeah. it's, you know, there's a specific criteria and it's a bit harder. But um, yeah, and, and yeah, it's kind of like this. Every province is different. Of course. Kind of yeah. That way. Yeah. 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 I think my sister's on methyltrexate, which is okay. for her atopic dermatitis. Um, she was put that on that after she gave birth. But uh, and it's pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, relatively uh, methyltrexate, uh, it works by affecting one of the vitamin metabolisms uh and it, it is effective for um eczema but it's you know as your sister will tell you got uh, mm -hmm. quite a few side effects and monitoring required it's hard on her liver yeah it's hard yes. on her liver yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. you know the, drugs like this the injectable uh dupilumab down there's oral pills as well called jack kinase inhibitors all of these will um you know treat the atopic dermatitis with less side effects typically, especially if they've gone mm -hmm. through, you know, 
you know, methotrexate, for example, or, 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 you know, what we consider a big gun medication like that. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I know somebody that actually was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remember the medication. It was like, he was on methotrexate for a while, but then went off, but he's actually diagnosed with um, borderline personality. So he's got oh, major mental health issues and yet he's got psoriatic arthritis. And now that you're saying this type two inflammation, I wonder if this is connected. Yeah. So psoriatic arthritis is um, in the realm of uh, type one inflammation or inflammatory dysregulation. There's conditions mm-hmm. like that, uh, psoriatic arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, psoriasis on the skin is what we consider. Mm-hmm. Type well, he's one. got it. He's got yeah. both. He's got everything. Yeah. 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 So there's, you know, the therapeutics are really getting uh, really good um, in terms of being more like a guided missile as opposed to a, a carpet bomb strategy. So yeah, yeah. It's, it is really important to uh, speak to, um, you know, a specialist that looks at the uh, a couple of these conditions and, and knows the, the, the latest advance quite well. Wow. That is fascinating. Well, I think, yeah, there's major breakthroughs happening here, especially if these drugs are starting to treat mental illnesses that weren't, they weren't being. Yeah. You know, I I always had a a really good conversation with the psychiatrist because again, like not a single one I spoke to were aware of this data. And then again, and and I I don't expect them to read my journals. I don't expect them to read outside their field, but this, you know, cross-pollination or multidisciplinary approach is really hard to do with the way our healthcare systems are, are designed and, and, and set up, right? Because of the siloed approach. And, you know, it's kind of like a, an old inefficient approach where you look at everything by organ and supposed to mm-hmm. kind of a more comprehensive look at things, but yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. But when you look at the field of like, like mental health and people who have, whether it's psychiatric conditions, disorders, or just anxiety and depression, there's a lot of, there's a lot of physical illness there, tons like fibromyalgia. Yeah. And now we're talking allergies, like in the immune system and how it's affected with the secondary inflammation. That's bang on. Absolutely. Thank you again, uh, Brienne, for joining me. That was a great conversation. That was wonderful, Jason. Thank you so much. So fascinating. (laughs) All right. Have a good night.